Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Why don't you take a seat? Tonight, this morning, it's dark with stars. I get confused. (laughs) This morning, we are reading from Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 22. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to himself. And said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Do not stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, he said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Then a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. On your father and mother, etc. I've kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This is God's word. Well, the future's quite hard to predict, I find. More and more people are becoming futurists or futurologists. These are real things. As careers, there's an association of professional futurists. You need a postgraduate uh, in futurist studies, though, to be a part of the association. This is not a joke. Imagine, imagine trying to be a lecturer marking assignments in future studies. Would you just be? Like, you'd just be constantly revising, right? You'd go back and go, "Yeah, it turns out that was an A." <laughs> like, how? How? You're just, you're just doing your best. Uh, but then, like, it's not like they're the only people trying to predict the future. We have lots of betting companies earning lots of money because many people terribly predict the future, uh, but are very confident about it. One organization asked a bunch of nine-year-old kids to predict jobs in the future in 2009, though. Here's some of the answers they came up with. Cybersecurity specialist, zero-energy home architect, bullet train conductor, soil replenishment specialist, food scientist, community garden organiser, global field trip planner, not sure about that one, but so far pretty good, avatar costume designer, now you've got to remember this was in 2009, but next year Avatar 2 comes out. This kid, I don't know what he's doing right now, but give him a job immediately. Avatar costume designer still exists. Now, we're still waiting on age-reversing cosmetologists and teleporter mechanics. We haven't quite got to them yet, but maybe we should be asking the kids. Maybe we should be asking the kids. On the Christian side of the fence, plenty of, let's charitably say, people have been trying to correctly predict the future. One guy, Harold Camping, had at least four different wrong public predictions about the end of the world before he passed away in 2013 which is more than a little ironic given that Jesus' own statement about the end of the world was so clear in its uncertainty. You do not know the day or the hour. But that has never tried to stop us trying to predict the future, usually really, really badly, 
And never was that more obvious than 2020. Never was it more obvious than COVID-19 coming along, destroying all the future predictions that we had, except for the virologists who we'd been ignoring up to that point, and shattering our best laid plans. The future is hard to predict. But in the Bible, what we read is that although the future is hard to predict, the one that holds the future is very, very clear. And he holds it in perfect clarity. Now, in the passage we read today, Jesus offers two pictures of coming to God. The first, children are brought to him to bless. They have no understanding what the future will bring. They don't have any answers to any of their questions, and they aren't trying to impress Jesus. They just want to be with him. And in the second, we see Jesus meeting a rich young ruler. We hear a bit more about this in Matthew's gospel. And the rich young ruler is confident in the future in the kind of way that only the very wealthy really can be. And he has all the answers to all the questions and he feels justified in his rightness. I have kept all these laws since my youth. But at the end of these two stories, the children are blessed by Jesus, but the wealthy, self-righteous young ruler walks away in disappointment. So what does that tell us about the future? What does that tell us about the way we come to God? Let me talk about Corrie ten Boom for a minute. Corrie ten Boom was this middle-aged Dutch Christian lady. She worked in her father's watchmaking shop during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. And uh, Corrie, pretty quickly under Nazi occupation, found her faith tested because her family set out to help and save as many Jewish people as they could through the Dutch underground. But ultimately, like so many others, they were caught and they were sentenced to labour in concentration camps. She was sent to prison and labour camps and concentration camps. Her father died in prison. Her brother died. And most distressingly of all, her beloved sister Betsy died. Now, Betsy was a shining beacon of faith for Corey. Where Corey was a woman of faith, Betsy was like above and beyond. And she was the one who would always lift Corey's spirits, the one who kept procuring illegal Bible seemingly out of nowhere for them to hold Bible studies in the prison. And, it, and when she passes, it would be tempting at this point for Corey Ten Boom to finally give up hope. She has no idea what the future will hold. We know that the Second World War was six years. She didn't know that. She was in it. She has no idea when she'll be released. The conditions are horrific and her family is dying all around her. But Corey learned something in the last year of Betsy's life. They were in the notorious Ravensbrook prison, a labor camp. And in that, imprisoned in a small concrete room, overfilled with other captives, freezing cold with little food, they had a few tiny blankets covered in fleas. And for Corey, this woman of immense faith, the fleas were the breaking point. She could deal with the captivity. She could deal with the lack of food. She could deal with being freezing cold, but the fleas were just a step too far. And she began to vent her frustration and disappointment to Betsy. But Betsy rebukes her. She stops her and says, no, 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 Corey. That's not how the Christian life works. We give thanks to God for everything. So we need to praise God for these fleas. And Corey's like, and prison has broken my sister's mind. Great, here we are. But Betsy insists. She's like, no, this is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Whether we're in good times or in bad, in sickness or in health, we praise the name of God. And so Corey, eventually, probably because where else could she go to get away from her sister, begins to praise God for the fleas. Thank you, God, for... Say it. Fleas. Thank you that they bite. Thank you that we can be a source of sustenance without the sarcasm. Fine, thank you for this living organism you've created on purpose. And, and, and in that, her spirit begins to shift. And, and, and it begins to be lifted. And so she praises God again and again and again 
And around them, people whisper stories that rooms around them are disappearing. Where are they going? They're gone. They're being executed. Again and again, rooms emptying, disappearing. Prisoners being passed through the corridors will tell them through the hole in the door. Again and again, people are going to be murdered. Nobody ever came for Corey and Betsy. Why? Because of the fleas. The prison guards had heard that this room was flea infested and they refused to enter the room. Corey and Betsy had been praising God for the fleas as an act for their spirit and it became an act of their survival. And at the end of this time, later in life, Corey would reflect on this and she would say, listen, life in Ravensbrook took place on two separate levels that are mutually impossible. One, the observable external life grew every day more horrible. The other, the life we lived with God, grew daily better. Truth upon truth, glory upon glory. Corey Ten Boom would go on to be a beacon of faith and hope and unity in the post-war period. She personally met and forgave her Nazi captors in Ravensbrook. It takes a heck of a woman to do that. She could take her doubts, mixed in with one of the most horrifying experiences in human history, and come out with greater trust in God. Now, how? How do we do that? Because she knew him. Corey knew God. And she put it this way, we should never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. This is a, this is a meek, older Dutch lady. She's not physically strong. She's not verbally strong. She's just a meek, older lady trying to, be, to become somebody for the sake of Jesus. And she becomes this powerful symbol of resistance and resilience simply through praising God again and again. And she would challenge us to trust our unknown futures into the hands of a known God. But that raises the question, do you know him? Do you know him? He knows you, inside and out. He knows your personality, your passions, your struggles, your joys, your insecurities, everything you love, everything you fear. God knows, and he comes close. That's the nature. That's the nature of God. Your future is unknown to you, but it's not unknown to him. He knows you, but do you know him? That's why we do what we do here at Encounter. Everything that people might have an encounter with Jesus, the living God. You may not know him, but he knows. Corey Ten Boom learned something powerful about hope for the future in the middle of a concentration camp. We cannot guarantee what will happen tomorrow. Corey survived, her sister did not. The one who had greater faith, greater strength, didn't survive. And so we can know that doubts are fine. Belief in an infinite God has room for your doubt. There's plenty of room in infinity. A leap of faith is always going to cross some gaps. You're going to be jumping something. There is room for doubt with God. He is not worried. But as we consider the Bible verses we read earlier, Jesus' voice challenges us. Come to faith not as an expert with the answers, but as an apprentice, in posture of learning. Not with skepticism, but with openness. Not with this idea that we need to have our theories proved right or wrong, but simply to know God, to encounter Jesus personally. Jesus would say, don't come at faith as if you are a mature adult. Because we all know none of us are quite as mature as we think we are. Come to Jesus. Come towards faith as a child. In a posture of learning. A posture of trust. 
Now, in one of the last parts of the Gospel of John, we spend a bit of time with Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples. And the disciples had just had a conversation with Jesus, not dead as they thought, but alive, physically resurrected. They are ecstatic, but Thomas wasn't there. And so even when everybody else was telling him what he saw, he refused to believe it. Now, personally, I find that fair enough. If 10 of you came up to me today, even if I trusted you all and you said, we just saw someone rise from the dead, I would still have a few more questions. I, I just would. This, this is my fallibility. And the thing is, though, Thomas is already a follower of Jesus. He walked with him. He saw the miracles. He watched Jesus walk on water. He saw him raise people from the dead. He saw him feeding the 5,000. Thomas has traveled with all of this. How could he miss what was going on? Doesn't he get what's happening? This is what it says in John's gospel, verse 24. Now Thomas, chapter 20, also known as the twin, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. That was Corey Ten Boom, wrestling with her faith in prison in the light of death and destruction around her. Where was God in that place? And Thomas is the same. He's grieving. And he can't believe that Jesus is alive. He thinks the disciples have come up with some kind of coping mechanism, just a spiritual crutch to get through life. Maybe that's how some of you think about faith. Thomas approaches that and he's not buying it. And like the rich young ruler, for about a week, Thomas looks like the smartest guy in the room. And I bet he felt it. And a week later, verse 26, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus is saying, that's what you wanted, right, Thomas? You... You want the blood? You want the proof? Go on, touch it. Do it. Is that what you want? Now, Jesus shows up because he always will. Always. Let me tell you that. If you've ever been uncertain, if you're going through a time of doubt, what we call a dark night of the soul, Jesus will show up. If not always in our tiring timing, ask Harry if you see him. His story you heard before. Ask him about if Jesus turned up in his timing or in Jesus' timing. But he will turn up. And Jesus is not only present with them physically, he addresses Thomas's doubts personally. He knows what Thomas said about the hand and the side. He sees him, he knows him, and instead of rejecting him, he addresses him. Jesus being Jesus is full of love, but Jesus being Jesus doesn't back away from the problem. That's what he does. Stop doubting and believe, he says. This is not just your emotion or a spiritual wish fulfillment. This is real. Incarnate, God is standing in front of them. And Thomas, who had already been following Jesus, this traveling teacher, this rabbi, suddenly has a revelation. Jesus knows him, knows his doubts, and he still comes to him. And, Jesus, and suddenly Thomas knows Jesus in a new way. And he says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Thomas now knows Jesus not Jesus the good teacher. Most people in our nation will acknowledge Jesus as a good teacher. Jesus who is God. Jesus the rightful king of all creation. Do you know him? Do you know him? That's the question before you today. Ben, you guys can come back up. Church, most of us 
come to faith like the rich young ruler. We come at it full of certainty about ourselves and doubts about God and questions, which is fine. But you are never going to find the answers you seek when what you want is God to justify you to yourself. Where you might find the God of all the universe is if you can come humbly as a child. It's the hardest thing to do because it requires us to lay ourselves down and just go, what if it is? What if it is true? What if God was incarnate among us? What if the God of creation who sets the universe in motion is too big for us to find when we come from inside our own minds? So we've got to come humbly, hopefully, full of trust. Maybe we should have asked the kids. We don't leave our brains at the door, church. We acknowledge our doubts. But when we look at Jesus, they begin to melt away. It's not that they never get answered. Some of them won't, not this side of eternity. But in the face of the God who reaches out to us, they begin to melt away. When you encounter Jesus, you encounter your future. But to do that, it's not just enough to believe in him. You have to know him. Do you know him, church? Do you know him? Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.